Hey, welcome to Fathering Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegrift, and I'm not the perfect dad, but every day I am trying to be better. Now, as a Christian dad, I think it's vitally important that my children understand their faith. So joining me today is world-renowned Christian apologist, Dr. William Lane Craig, to talk about equipping our children to be defenders of their faith. All of us fathers need to take the primary responsibility for instructing our children. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, fathers, bring up your children in the instruction and admonition of the Lord. If you're a dad who wants to embrace your God-given mission, make sure you subscribe to Fathering Our Future wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also get more content on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you want even more than that, then head over to www.fatheringourfuture.com. Well, Dr. Craig, it is a distinguished honor to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for making some time to be with me today. Well, I'm glad to join you, Anthony, for this interview. I'm glad you're here, too, because I think you are going to be an incredible voice for our topic of discussion. We're talking about equipping our children to be defenders of their faith. And as a Christian father, and I think as Christian parents, I can speak across the board here, I think that ought to be a top priority that we have because... We know that at some point in our children's lives, they're going to walk out of our home, walk out of our care into their own life, and they're going to be presented with questions from other people. They're probably going to pose questions to themselves. And if we have not equipped them to answer those questions, to provide the explanation for why they believe what they believe and why they do the things that they do, we're setting them up for failure and we're doing them a disservice. Now, you've dedicated your life to teaching people about God, his existence, and his essentiality. And I think you will do a wonderful job today helping us understand how we can frame these arguments and these explanations so that our kids can start to understand them at a young age and we can continue to work on these conversations and discussions within our home as they are in our care. But before we get into the heart of our discussion today, I always think it's interesting to hear a little bit about the guest from the guest. So why don't you give us some of the good details of your life? How long have you been married? How many kids do you have? How long have you been involved in Christian apologetics? Just the good stuff. Well, my wife, Jan, and I have now been married for over 50 years. And we are enjoying life together uh, without children uh, (laughs) at home. And uh, so it's great. Um, We have two children. Uh, We have what the Irish call a gentleman's family, a girl and a boy. And I couldn't agree with you more, Anthony, that the top priority for a parent is to see that this person whom they have brought into existence will go into eternity in a saving love relationship with God rather than be separated from God forever. I cannot imagine a more inconceivable horror than that. So it has to be a top priority that we do everything we can to ensure that our children come to saving faith in Christ and know and love Him. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important that we first understand our identity as fathers and as mothers as well, that we ourselves are disciples, and we've been entrusted by God to help raise other disciples. So we have to do a better job of not not just demanding that our children follow us blindly and follow the faith that 
we speak to them blindly, but that they themselves, like you talked about, have that own personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and they themselves grow as a disciple. I mentioned you've been uh, involved in Christian apologetics for quite some time. Just how long have you been doing that? I suppose it would be since my senior year in college. I graduated in 1971, and my senior year, I read a book by Edward John Carnell called An Introduction to Christian Apologetics, and I was absolutely captivated, Um, and Carnell was such an inspiration to me. He had earned doctorates in both philosophy and theology, and I thought, oh, if I could someday do that and become a Christian apologist, that would be just beyond my wildest dreams, and God has fulfilled that in my life. So it started in my senior year. That's, that's beautiful. Um, I'm going to go ahead and take an opportunity here to let people know I have a copy of your book on guard and it's a wonderful book and I think it will go great with this discussion, but you also have a couple of interludes where you talk about your personal testimony, your time in college, your time with your doctoral studies. Uh, God clearly had his hand on your life and I'm grateful that you followed the prompting, the leading of the spirit, and still to this day, continue to do what you do. Uh, I appreciate so much what you've done. You've truly been a blessing to me, and I know that this will be a blessing to so many other people. But let's get into the conversation today. And I want to ask you this for starters. Do you think that it might be even more so important for us today in our culture to equip ourselves and to equip our children to do that? Because We live in a culture today where people can look at obvious biological truths and just deny them and then populate their own narrative. Do you think it's more important today than it has been in times past? I I do, though I have a question, Anthony, for you. What do you mean uh, about these obvious biological truths that people (laughs) deny? What are you referring to? what, What I mean about that is... Uh, I think it's pretty cut and dry that there is man and there is woman Ah. and there's there's nothing else. (laughs) Okay. I wasn't sure if you were talking about evolutionary theory or COVID-19, but I'm I'm not going to get as deep as you typically get. I'm just talking about the fact that people can decide that, well, I was born this way, but I'm not this. And I, yeah. X, XX and XY are not a thing. That, that's, no. that's what I'm talking about. Well, I think that over the last several decades, our culture has really shifted. And as someone who's lived through this, in my personal opinion, the Vietnam War was an absolute watershed in the United States of America. Younger folks uh, don't remember that war, but it tore this country apart. It, we were so divided. And those who were anti-war and countercultural rebelled against the middle-class values of their parents um, and adopted drug use, uh, free sex. Uh, it just changed the whole culture and mores of this country. And those people, those radicals of the 60s, are now the ones that are in the positions of university professorships uh, that explain the kind of progressive left-wing attitude that dominates our universities. And so our students today are exposed to a kind of secularism 
that is so deeply anti-Christian that it makes it hard to be countercultural today and stand for Christ. Today, those who are countercultural are not like the radicals in the 60s. Today, it's the Christians who are countercultural and standing up for biblical values in the face of an overwhelmingly secular culture. And Jan and I saw personally where this leads during our years in Europe. Europe is even farther down this trail than the United States. And uh, there the church and Christianity is much weaker and less influential. And so you have a kind of secularism that just dominates everything and makes it difficult for the gospel even to be heard as an intellectually viable option for thinking people. To invite people to believe in Jesus Christ is like inviting them to believe in fairies or Santa Claus. It, it just appears absurd to them. Hmm. And so one of the tasks of apologetics, I believe, that is so important is to try to shape a cultural milieu in our country in which the gospel can still be heard as an intellectually viable option for thinking men and women. Yeah, I think that's very important. And with the culture the way that it is, with this being such a, a vital task that we have as parents, I think that we should start preparing our children as early as we can. So I think of my children, they are ages six, four, and two. And I think of what is often said that once you obtain 10,000 hours in a particular field that you reach this level of mastery. I just think if we can start engaging with our children and being intentional with our children about these conversations and these discussions about God and his existence and the word of God and its infallibility, I think if we can have those conversations with them early on, I yes. just think, how wonderful would it be if by the time our kids are in high school, they've had 10,000 hours of contemplation and questioning and answers and conversation. I think that would be a wonderful goal for us to strive for. So what I'm curious about is as we go down this path of apologetics, uh, I am privileged to have uh, another PhD in family studies on this podcast periodically. And the last time he was on with me, he just made this reference that it's a bad idea for Sunday school teachers to teach the young children about the cross and the crucifixion at Easter. Well, Easter rolled around this year, and I'm talking to my six-year-old son, and he knows that Easter is a holiday. So in his mind, holidays mean he gets a gift. So he's trying to tell me what he wants me to buy him for Easter. And I stopped and I said, Frankie, I said, I said, Easter is less about us and it's more about Jesus. And that conversation led to the cross and led to the crucifixion story. And when I told him that they put a crown of thorns on his head for the next at least 15 minutes. He drilled me with questions about the wow. thorns. How long were the thorns? Where did the oh. thorns come from? What kind of tree? Were they sharp enough that they went through his skull and touched his brain? And I was just, in the back oh. of my mind, I heard, you don't teach young kids about the cross at Easter time. So, uh, so I, I stopped, pulled the conversation back, and I said, here's what you need to know about Easter. God loves you, and he wanted to show you how much he loved you. That's what you need to take away from Easter. So having learned from my mistake that we can't just talk to our kids the same way that we might have a conversation with someone else. When we start down the path of apologetics for Christianity, I don't imagine that we want to start with the ontological arguments with a six-year-old. So where should we start with our children when they are at a young age? 
Let me say that this is an admonition, first and foremost, to fathers rather than mothers. Unfortunately, we men have very often yielded our role of instructing our children to the mother. And that makes Christianity looks like uh, something for women and girls. Uh, We need to present to them a, a robust, masculine image of Jesus, uh, and not uh, this kind of feminine, uh, matriarchal view of Jesus. So all of us fathers need to take the primary responsibility for instructing our children. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, fathers, bring up your children in the instruction and admonition of the Lord. Now, I certainly don't claim to be a model uh, in this, But I will share a couple of things that we did that I thought were helpful. The first thing you need to teach your children is Bible contents. Before you can uh, teach them apologetic arguments, you need to help them to get some familiarity with the Bible. And I found uh, this picture Bible to be extremely useful with our children when they were young. Every evening after supper, while Jan cleaned up, I would take Charity and John and would read them a story out of the uh, picture Bible and pray with them. Uh, And then after that, I would read them something from another piece of literature like the Chronicles of Narnia or the Adventures of Tom Sawyer or Little House on the Prairie, something of that. So we, we had intellectual input right alongside with Bible reading. Now, In addition to that, I wanted to teach our children Christian doctrine when they were very young. And so I developed a series of 10 booklets called What is God Like?, which is on the attributes of God for children. And these feature these lovable cartoon characters, Red Goose and Brown Bear. And uh, these are... uh, on each of the different attributes of God, like God is omnipresent or all present, God is eternal, uh, God is spirit, and so forth. And um, these have been illustrated by a wonderful artist named Marley Tague. And we have found that people just love these booklets because of the way they start conversations with children. Children will sometimes ask every night before they go to bed to be read a brown bear and red goose story about the attributes of God. And then the parents can talk to them about these properties, about what God is like. And this expands the mind of the child so that God is not some sort of an anthropomorphic man with a long beard on a throne, but he is this great, majestic uh, God. That is a great resource to start the children out very, very young in learning about Christian doctrine and expanding their minds. And in our personal experience, this has worked with our children, uh, sharing from a very young age with them the evidence for God's existence, like the design of the universe, or where did everything come from, or uh, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It, it's really made a difference. Our son told us, oh, just a couple years ago, that 
he actually tried to walk away from Christianity at one point later in his life. Jan and I were very distressed to hear this, but he said he couldn't do it because he was convinced that it's the truth. <laughs> and because it's the truth, he said, I just, I couldn't deny it. And so now he's a committed believer um, and has a ministry in his church, teaching apologetics. Uh, and so giving kids this kind of training can help at least. It can't guarantee, but it can help to solidify those faith commitments in them. Yeah, I think that is a wonderful starting place. And that's something that we at my home, we, we try and practice this. I know I am predominantly the one doing this right now. My wife is currently in a cast because she had a surgery on her foot. So oh. I'm taking care of everything, which is a lot of fun. Uh, God be with me. Yeah. But at night, I do my best. We have, a, we have another Bible story book, just like you present it, that we read. And I think, I don't know who told me this or if I just did it one day and I just thought, you know what, this is a great idea. But when I get done reading one of those stories, I always ask the kids, what stood out to you? What do you think about mm. this? What questions do you have? And it prompts that conversation that you yep. brought up and that you talked about. And that is so valuable because when you hear from your kids, sometimes it's amazing. Your kids will point out things that you might've missed or you haven't thought about in a long time. You're thinking, God is so good. And then other times you just get this reference point of this is where they're at. Now I know how I can help them because I understand where they're at mentally with this topic. Yeah. And, and it, it gives us what we need to help them. Yeah, I remember one mother sharing with us that when she read our Baron Goose book, God is all loving to her child. In the book, it says that even when you're bad, God continues to love you, even though he disapproves of what you've done. And the child said, well, I don't think that's true. I, God doesn't love me when, I, when I'm bad. And I thought, oh my goodness, for a parent to learn that is so important because that child has such a warped and distorted view of God as someone whose love needs to be earned and, and merited a kind of performance uh, demanding God. That, that is extremely important for something like that to emerge in a conversation with your child yes. so that you can help to shape their attitudes toward a truly all-loving God. Yes. And like you pointed out just now, there's a benefit, I think, that goes both ways. Most often it is probably for the child, but every so often the parent can get this revelation that helps them and blesses them, and then that allows them to be an even greater model of Christianity and of their faith to their children. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's, let's move down the developmental phase a little bit with our children. There are some experts that say we need to have the talk, and I think people know what I'm talking about by referencing that. We need to have the talk with our children as early as the age of eight. And now that baffles me a little bit, uh, not that the experts say that, just that we live in a culture where in order to properly prepare our children, they need to know at that age because of everything that exists right now. But I would imagine that while sex is a very important topic to discuss with our children, it, it, it falls under the category or under the umbrella, rather, of faith. I don't think we can correctly teach our children about sex without packaging it within biblical views. 
So would you say that there is a the talk in reference to our faith that we ought to have with our children? And at what age should that conversation happen? Now, when I got your questions in advance for this interview, Anthony, when you said we need to have the talk with our kids as young as eight, (laughs) I interpreted that to mean when do you have the talk with them about their (laughs) receiving Christ and becoming a Christian? (laughs) At at what age do you try to evangelize your children? I completely (laughs) missed the point. That's Um, okay. You're thinking about biology again, you know? (laughs) And I was going to say that we never face that issue about the talk about saying, okay, are you ready to receive Christ? Do you want to give your life to him? Because at the church we were attending, there were missionaries with the Child Evangelization Fellowship uh, teaching Sunday school class. And one day the kids came home from church and told us that, After Sunday school, uh, Peter, the the missionary, had shared the gospel with them and led them in prayer to receive Christ. And so this took us quite by surprise, (laughs) and so we never faced that difficulty ourselves. We we simply tried to then model what it is to be a Christian, um, to put that on display for the children, and then to lead them and guide them in the knowledge of God, but we didn't have to actually have the talk to lead them to Christ. Sure. Now, would you say that that is the equivalent of the sex talk that we have to have with our children? Yeah, I would. I I mean, I think that it, it, for every parent faces the issue, when is my child old enough to understand that he is a sinner condemned before a holy God, that he has moral responsibility, moral accountability. You know, I think very young children don't have moral accountability because they don't have rational faculties that enable them to be moral agents. But at at some place, you come to the so-called age of accountability. And at that point, we need to help to lead them to Christ so that they will make a commitment and remember that day as their spiritual birthday, so that they will know, yes, I committed my life to Christ. I I received him and the Holy Spirit as my my Lord and my Savior. And so I do think that's just as important as the facts of life talk. Like you mentioned, there is is an age where every parent has to judge for themselves that I think my child might be smart enough to understand where they're at, their actions. Um, I don't like I don't like parental guidance that's always cut and dry. That your kid turns mm-hmm. seven and then you have to do this because every child is different and oh yeah, every family is different. So yeah, that, that's a good talk to have. And again, parents have to judge for themselves. Now, so as we as we continue on, we're we're reading stories to our children. We're having conversations with our children. We are modeling things for them. We're doing our best to be examples that guide them. Now, for whatever reason, traditionally, a lot of parents have been worried when it comes time for their kids to go to college because they're concerned about, well, they're going to be 
faced with peers who have different beliefs and different worldviews. They're going to potentially be engaged in conversation with professors who can reviloquently talk about their atheistic perspective. And I'm worried that my, my child's going to either deconstruct their Christian views or turn and, and live a different way. I think for, for me, if that is something that traditionally we've been worried about, I would think, well, that much more we ought to do our best to prepare them going into that. Yes. If we know that they're, I mean, why would you just lead your child into the fire and give them nothing to, to fight against the fire? Um, it's just kind of like feeding your own kids to the wolves in a sense. So what would you say are the, the top defenses of our faith that our kids should understand before going into college? Yeah. I think they need to understand the arguments that I've laid out in the book that you mentioned before on guard. This is meant to be a kind of primer uh, aimed at uh, students and laymen that basically will equip them to give a positive case for the truth of Christianity and answers to the best arguments against it. Now, before they get to that point, we need something to bridge the gap between little children and these adolescents. And so we've developed this other uh, book called The Defense Never Rests. And this is a workbook on these apologetic arguments for God's existence, like the moral argument, the Kalam cosmological argument, and so forth. And it's in the form of a kind of fill-in-the-blank workbook that you do with your child. And it's important to understand that this is not to be self-taught. There is a teacher's guide that goes with it. So you have the workbook for the, the student, and then you have the teacher's guide for the parent or the teacher who will uh, teach the material to the child. And this has been tested with eight to 10-year-olds and has proved just enormously effective in training these kids. And then if I just might mention one other thing that I did with our children. Sure. Um, one summer, um, when they were in high school, I took a summer to teach them the rules of logic. Uh, if you can teach your child how to think logically, this will enable them to spot fallacies in the objections that they hear to Christianity, as well as to construct uh, cogent arguments of their own in defense of Christianity. And so one summer after lunch each day, I would sit down with Jan, John, and Charity, and I would give them instruction on the rules of logic. And then I made up worksheets, made up problems for them to symbolize the premises and then draw the logical conclusion and explain which rule of inference permitted you to do that. There's only about nine of these logical rules that govern all of reasoning that you need to uh, memorize. And we eventually took that and, uh, and made it into a booklet too called Learning Logic, um, which is also illustrated by that same artist that did the Bear and Goose books. And so I would encourage folks to go through a book like this with your kids, teach them logic, how to reason, how to be rational. And this will give them so much power. It, it teaches them to be 
critical listeners to what they hear so they don't just absorb stuff gullibly and un- uncritically, but it also teaches them to formulate their own thinking in a, in a logical way. So those are the kind of things that we've developed a reasonable faith to try to help parents prepare their children for high school and then to go off to college where they'll be on their own. After that, it's pretty much too late. You've got to do it before they leave. Yeah. And I, I, I think that is a point to drive home. Sadly enough, there is almost this point of no return where, I mean, it takes a miraculous act of God to really get someone's attention if mm-hmm. they've believed a particular way for so long. Um, now, there's always hope, and we can yes. cling to that. But um, for people like myself, with young kids, I, I have every opportunity in the world to make sure that they understand logic, that they are critical thinkers, and that they understand why they believe what they believe. And so fathers in, in my same situation, um, you've presented resources that we have that, that are at our disposal, and you've presented just things that we can do. I, what, what I love so much is the the role of communication in all of this. So on the podcast, I often talk about how communication is how we nurture and we build relationships with our children. Because when we communicate, we are, we're being transparent and we're being vulnerable and we're offering, we're offering some information um, that our kids can receive and we're, we're displaying trust to them. So communication builds trust and trust is what ultimately builds relationships. So I think, as we have these conversations with our children about whether it be apologetics or whether it just be biblical principles and doctrines, um, not only are we helping them understand, but we're also building open communication and relationships with them so that if they do go to high school, if they do go to college and they, they, they they'll, they'll be okay coming home and saying, Hey dad, um, my professor mentioned this today and I don't know how to answer it. I think right. they're willing to have that conversation right. rather than just, I can't figure it out. I must be wrong. Um, so I think the element of communication and conversation that you have talked about, I think we can't drive that home enough. Yes. So we've talked about logic. We've talked about steps that we can implement as parents uh, to help our children understand their faith so that they can always be ready to provide an answer of the hope that is within them. But Even with that, I think almost every person at some point experiences a faith crisis. Now, some people, when they experience a faith crisis, it it manifests itself in a way that everyone can see. And some people, like myself, when they go through a faith crisis, you never know they go through it. And I think it can be difficult, and I've seen it be difficult on parents when they see their child turn the opposite direction or stop living out the biblical principles that they grew up on. Now, you mentioned a little bit about this with your son, and you don't have to divulge details or go into the extremes, but um, from your perspective, what advice would you give to parents when they start to see their child going through uh, their faith crisis? Yeah, that's really difficult because we never saw that. So I can't speak from experience uh, about that. 
clearly what you said about maintaining open lines of communication and allowing the child to express doubts and objections without getting defensive and condemning the child. You you have to give them the freedom to raise questions and to doubt. But then anything you can do to help provide resources to the child, I think should be done. I recently had this experience after my defenders class at the local church we presently attend. Uh, A couple contacted me and said, our son is going through severe doubts. He's thinking about walking away from Christianity. And I wonder if you would talk to him. Uh, He'd be willing to talk with you. And I said, of course, I'd love to. And I sat down with this guy and had the most wonderful conversation with him, answering his questions. And I found him to be extremely open to the arguments uh, and the evidence. He wasn't hostile at all. He was just searching and questioning. And I think the problem was, well, I know the problem was because he said so, that there was nobody in the church who could answer his questions. There was no one who could talk to him on the level that he was on. And so this is where parents can stand in the gap. You make a determination as a parent, I'm going to be that person. I'm going to study and prepare. I'm not just going to encourage my child to study these things. I'm going to learn them so that I'm equipped to discuss them with him and and have an intelligent conversation. So I want to emphasize that the training in apologetics isn't just for the, the student or the child. It's really for the adult as well, so that you can be a good conversation partner when your child's going through struggles. Yeah. I think that, I know you drive that home in your book on guard, and I think that is something that we certainly need to take home and take to heart as the adults, as the parents, because it's like you said, you can't just force your kid or tell your kid to do this while you haven't done this. I think as fathers, we can sometimes fall into that role of we're the coach where we think we've missed our prime. We like to sit back on the couch, but we know all the right things to do. We know all the right answers to everything, but we don't practice it ourselves. but you will practice it because I said so. I think as fathers, we're more so aligned with leaders. And as leaders, we're initiating. We are being involved. We have the the intellectual capacity, we have the know-how, we have the skills to be able to engage with them where they're at, to bring them to a greater level. And this is why I think that the mission of fatherhood is to equip and to disciple our children to be a part of God's mission in a greater capacity than ourselves. Because as we are pouring into our children at a young age, and they're developing mastery of these principles and these concepts and these ways of thinking at a young age, as they grow up, they step into new territory that we've never explored. And I think that this is modeled biblically. John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and he said, there's one coming after me who's mightier than I. Jesus, towards the end of his ministry, told the disciples that they would do even greater works than he did. So there's this there's this succession of greatness that I think we ought to follow as fathers as well. But I also loved what you said about how we have that conversation, um, being level-headed. And I think you do this wonderfully when you actually have conversations and debates publicly. Um, But we know that we're on the side of truth. 
So yeah. we don't need to take arguments personally and feel like we're being attacked and then emotionally respond. Um, we need to engage in these conversations um, with with mansuetude, with gentleness, and with kindness and compassion. Because ultimately, I think what we are doing when we talk about defending our faith, while I think the terminology is fitting because there is obviously a war and an attack on the Christian ideology, but ultimately what we're doing is we're being witnesses and we're witnessing our faith. And this is what Jesus said the Spirit empowers us to do in Acts 1.8. We would receive the Spirit of God and it would empower us to be witnesses. And I, I think that's what we're doing. And I think we have to remember that as parents. So as we take your advice and we train ourselves, we, yes. we work on ourselves as disciples so that we can yeah. bring up these other disciples to have their own relationship with Jesus Christ. We train ourselves so that we can be that model, we can be that example, but we have that, that, that mindset of, I'm trying to raise them not in my image, but in his image, so I'm, I'm going to speak the truth and love to them because that's what we're supposed to do. Um, so I, I, think, I, think that's, I think that's good advice. Um, while we can have concern, and I know I'm not there yet, um, my kids love going to church. The only problem that I had was earlier this year, my two-year-old would say things like, no, Jesus, and I don't like Jesus. And so I had to try to work on that. She's two, and she doesn't really understand. But now right. uh, she loves going to Sunday school. And if we ever have to stream service because we can't make it, she says, I want to watch Jesus. That's what she says. Oh. So that's, that's cute, and that's been corrected. Um, but I know down the road that there, there might potentially come that time. So sure. uh, being aware of that and just having uh, a level head and preparing myself so that I can appropriately train them uh, as yeah. disciples as well, I think I think is important. And I, th I think that's great advice for us to take. Um, let me ask you one final question. So you've, you've done this fatherhood thing for a while. What's the one piece of advice that you'd like to give to dads today? Well, I suppose I would say that it needs to be that you model to your children what it means to be sold out as a Christian. Uh, if they see that dad is sold out, 100% pedal to the metal for Jesus Christ, that will give them the confidence to follow in your lead and and to be committed to Christ as well. So although we've talked a lot about verbal communication here today, it's also really important that you model what it means to be a godly man and husband and father uh, to these children so that they see it as real in your life. Yep. I think that's wonderful advice. Our words our words carry a lot of power and they carry a lot of weight, but our example coupled with that, uh, I think, is a necessity. So mm -hmm. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, Dr. Craig, I am uh, I'm a big fan and I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to talk with you today about this topic because this is a topic that I believe ought to be near and dear to the heart of every Christian parent. Uh, but I want to give people the opportunity to learn more about you and what you're doing. So the floor is yours. Mm -hmm. Let them know how they can learn more about you and your work. Yes. Thank you. We have a website called reasonablefaith.org. 
and it is just chock full of free materials to help you grow in your walk with Christ. Uh, there is a Defenders class where you can either watch videos of the class or read the transcripts that does a whole survey of Christian doctrine, from doctrine of Scripture to doctrine of the last things. I have a weekly column called Question of the Week where I answer questions that are sent in by people who come to the website or hear a podcast or go to the Facebook page. We have a series of about 16 wonderful animated videos, each about three and a half to five minutes long, on all of the various arguments for the existence of God and evidences for the resurrection of Jesus. And in our very visual culture today, when people don't want to read books, these animated videos are a terrific instructional tool to share with your children. So check out reasonablefaith.org. There's just tons of material there, uh, and it's all free, and I, I hope that uh, you'll find it useful in your family. Now, again, I, I mentioned your book, On Guard. Um, is, you mentioned several books throughout this episode, but are there any other books that maybe you would recommend uh, that go along with this? I know you mentioned books that parents can read with their children, uh, but is there another book that maybe you would recommend to parents as well? No, I think that that would be it. We'd have the What is God Like series for young children, the Defense Never Rests for 8 to 10-year-olds, and then On Guard, uh, and the book on uh, learning logic as well, and then the book On Guard for Older Kids. For parents, if you are yourself a college-educated, fairly intelligent person, you might enjoy reading Reasonable Faith. Reasonable Faith is a book which is the next level up from On Guard. On Guard is the beginner's level. Reasonable Faith is more of an intermediate level. So that would be appropriate perhaps for uh, a college-educated parent rather than for the children. Okay. But, you know, my theology teacher, Clark Pinnock, once advised us, he said, men, you should know your subject profoundly and share it simply. And that's good advice with your children, too. Yeah. You, you know it better than what you share it with your children. You know it profoundly, but then you share it simply. Uh, and that, I think, is a, is a great way to um, be ready for those questions and objections that uh, may pop up unexpectedly. Yeah, I think that's sage advice, and I appreciate you sharing that. I appreciate everything else that you've shared in reference to the questions that were posed to you today, all the resources that you've put so much hard work into to making available so that parents can access them even to this day. Dr. Craig, it has been a true pleasure and a true joy to have you on the podcast, and thank you, and I pray that God blesses you in your continued you. efforts for the kingdom of God. Thank you, Anthony. God bless you, too. I want to make sure you take to heart the two emphases that were throughout this discussion. The first, make sure you communicate with your kids. Make sure you have conversation with them. Read Bible stories to them. Talk about the Bible with them. Talk about the sermons at church with them. And be open to what they have to say. Hear where they're at. Understand what they understand. 
Open the door to open communication and dialogue with them. You'll learn where they're at, what they understand, and how you can better help them understand their faith. And the second thing, be the example. Show them what it looks like to serve the Lord. Allow your life to be a testimony that they can see of God's love and goodness, grace and mercy. Allow your life to be that. I believe if we will have those conversations and be intentional about having those conversations with our kids and being intentional about the way we live as a disciple and that we set forth an example that is noble for them to see, if we'll have that conversation consistently and we'll consistently set that example, I honestly believe that we will equip our children to be defenders and ultimately witnesses of their faith. This is Fathering Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegrift. Thank you so much for being with me, and I hope you will join me next time. Thank you again for listening to Fathering Our Future. If this episode has served you or you believe it will serve another dad in the future, make sure that you leave a like, a comment, a review, or share this so that it can reach another dad. And so that you don't miss out on another episode, make sure you subscribe to Fathering Our Future wherever you listen to podcasts. And again, for more great content, head over to www.fatheringourfuture.com.